Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you so much for joining me again for another really powerful conversation. This show really has a purpose, and the purpose is to inspire you, to uplift you, to um, assist you on the journey of reconnecting to the power and the truth and the healing that exists within you. So these are wonderful conversations that are uplifting to me, and I'm sure they will be uplifting to you as well. And during these times, we always need to be inspired. We need to be uplifted. We need to remember the true power that exists within each of us to heal and transform our lives. So once again, thank you so much for being with me today. And um, I I just want to let everyone know that all these shows are archived, and you can always go to my website and opt in there, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman. That's drcherylselman.com, because then I can send all the shows out to you. Or you can go to my Facebook page, uh, which is What Women Must Know, which happens to be the name of the other program, the other podcast I do on Progressive Radio Network. So that's What Women Must Know. Like me over on that Facebook page. And um, then I'll be able to send both of the weekly shows that I do out to you and just great conversations that uh, keep us all inspired and uplifted and educated and informed. So um, we have another wonderful conversation today. We're going to be talking about conscious bravery, caring for someone with addictions with Pamela Brinker. And um, just a little bit about Pamela before we jump into our important conversation today. As a well-respected and experienced psychotherapist for 31 years, Pamela has treated thousands of clients and has developed over 20 tools and practices to teach conscious bravery. Also a speaker and trainer, Pamela leads groups and workshops on a variety of themes, including supporting loved ones with addiction, bravery, healing grief, transforming fear, and cultivating happiness. In her first book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction, uh, happens to be an Amazon bestseller. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Pamela Brinker to the Love Code. Pamela, it's so nice to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate you so much. This is a treat. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation because this is a big story here. It's a big topic, Mm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and before we get into some of the specific work you've been doing, I always like to invite my guests to share a little bit about themselves and their journey and what actually led you to focus on this particular um, issue, this particular area of your work. Eleven years ago, I was married and happily moving through my life as a psychotherapist and a mom of two teenage sons. And, and my then husband, now deceased, was diagnosed with grade four glioblastoma brain cancer. And he died a year and three months after diagnosis. And it launched my sons and me into a grief that anyone who's experienced this knows about, even though it's different for everyone. And even though we had the grace of knowing in advance that he was going to pass because it's an incurable disease, um, he struggled with it so much himself and wanted to believe he would be the one person that would survive a glioblastoma at the at that grade four level. And so it was it was a challenge for our family because we were trying my sons and I were trying to support him in his faith and hope and really honor his belief that he could survive, while at the same time we were preparing for his passing. And um, that was a challenge in and of itself, but then once once he passed, it it really hit me like a, a ton of bricks because I was suddenly a single mom, and my son, Cheryl, and our listeners were struggling more than I realized. We were, because I'm a psychotherapist and because of who I am and I'm an empath and I'm a spiritual person, I had a really open relationship with my sons and we talked openly, you know, and of course I'm a psychotherapist, so I would ask them, how are you doing? How can I be with you in this 
mourning process and things like that. But they wanted to take care of me, and they were struggling so much themselves that I didn't really know how how painful it was for them. And so ultimately, they turned to alcohols and drug alcohol and drugs as an answer to their pain in their grief, unbeknownst to me. And within about four months, they were using um, prescribed amphetamines that they'd gotten from their doctor, um, a form of Adderall. It's called Vyvanse, so it's a treatment for ADHD, a medication. They had, they had um, presented to me that they felt they needed that. And, but, but on short order, they doubled their doses. And um, the doctor was a pediatrician. He didn't understand addiction not his fault. I didn't know better at the time. That was one of my mistakes. I should have said, hey, if you want to be on ADHD medication, let's go to a psychiatrist. And that's what they had said. They had said, to get through this so that we can stop using weed and alcohol, we really feel like we need a prescribed medication. So that's how that came about. But anyway, they they doubled their dose on their own, and their pediatrician said, wow, you guys are really pioneers, which I kind of winced at and wondered, you know, wow, are they pioneers or are they in need of treatment? And so, you know, um, in short order after that, we decided that our whole family needed to restructure. It was a systemic issue that they were using to deal with their grief using substances. And so they ended up going to um, wilderness therapy, which not everyone could afford. It was a stretch for me as well, but they gave us discounts. But anyway, they each went to a separate wilderness therapy, and our family started restructuring and changing. And that's when I realized I did not, I did not have one resource, which I longed for, to really turn to, to to figure out how to do this. You know, before they went to wilderness therapy and before our family really started making headway, there was a day when I said to myself, I just can't do this. I was so devastated and despairing, and I just kept saying over and over, as we do sometimes, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And then somehow grace came to me, and I I believe it was from God, from the universe. Grace came to me and said, you don't have the luxury of despair. It was a phrase I'd heard. I'd read Cheryl Strayed. She'd written that phrase in her book, Tiny Beautiful Things. She also wrote Wild. But that really embraced me that I didn't have the luxury of despair as a mom. My my sons needed me to figure out how to do this. And so I started compiling everything I had taught my clients for years and all the tools and resources I'd come up with and modifying them for myself and for our family and um, applying them. And over the course of some years, I ended up coming up with graphics and writing about them and eventually wrote the book, Conscious Bravery. Wow, Pamela, what a journey! What a you know what a what a a dark night of the soul for the family to have experienced mm-hmm. that loss, and then your sons. How old were they at this time? They were just teenagers, thirteen and sixteen. And you know, I didn't say this, but after about four years of using stimulants that were prescribed, they ended up becoming addicted to methamphetamines, and that, of course, is just horrific. It's just a harrowing experience. They didn't want to become addicted to substances. They didn't want to have mental health challenges, and no one does. And so, um, and not everyone becomes addicted, of course, to prescribed meds, but that they had a lot of the factors that that play into becoming addicted. And, And so it's just been a long, long trip into the wilderness. That's what I call it in the book. You know, I'm walking alongside them, working on myself, working on our family while they're in the wilderness. And that's what, that's what addiction to substances and substance use issues and dependencies can feel like. And mental health challenges can feel like that, like we're alone in the wilderness. And so what I really started to see and practice myself are some of the things I write about in the book, you know, that we, when we're brave, we can ask for help. In fact, we, we see it as a sacred exchange, receiving help and giving it, you know, and that's kind of one of the pillars of bravery. And there are, there are others that I can mention as well. 
Well, you know, I, I can't imagine what that time must have been like for you, Pamela. It's like you, like your your sons are thinking. The, the the metaphor, the image in my mind is like they're just thinking into this quicksand, right? Just slowly, mm-hmm. you know, disappearing. Um, and and what's mm. really so horrifying, and I'm sure it's not just you know in the case of your sons, but for so many people that uh, it all starts with the prescription from their pediatrician or from their mm-hmm. internist or whatever that, mm-hmm. that you know I mean hearing that it horrifies me that you're, that that doctor gave those kids to begin with that you know and I, it, it does me as well, but I don't blame him because he really had a heart to help and he wanted to honor what they were telling him. But that's one of the things that we parents and loved ones of those who struggle have to be so wary of, that someone who's, who's struggling and turning to substances as an answer to their grief and pain doesn't always know what's best for themselves, you know? We have to kind of team it and, and say, hey, what about this? How about trying this? And that's part of what helped them when they went to wilderness because in wilderness therapy for three months they were each away from any substances away from screens. They learned how to make their own shelters, build their own fires, and they were with a team of peers that grew to knew them as well as I knew them as a mom, you know, because they were with them 24-7 out in the middle of nowhere. And so they really went through a rite of passage that our whole family sort of went through simultaneously. And, um, and I think it helped make up for the mistakes, you know, and that's, that's something to speak to what you said about doctors. Lots of times doctors know a, a lot of stuff that's really helpful. Sometimes they're missing some pieces. And we need, that's why we need many people on our team, you know, spiritual people, people who um, are in the trenches, you know, and I had support groups and I attended different kinds of therapy and, and talked with other people in the trenches. But ultimately, I made my own decisions, some of which were mistakes and some of which I regret. But I've had to learn to, to not view mistakes as, as shameful. I've, I've allowed myself to embrace my feelings, you know, and um, it's taken a lot of practice to be kind to myself, to say, hey, I did, I did the best I could. That was a mistake. I don't think I'll do that again. I'm going to pause, breathe consciously, learn to taken information in different ways and kind of rewire and do some of the more uncomfortable things rather than what may seem natural at times, you know, because it seemed natural to go to their pediatrician. He was someone that really knew them and to get that, to get a prescription for something from, from him. But really I should have said, you know, who really understands young people and brainstormed it maybe with some, some peers and colleagues and, and, kind of thought through that a little differently. So I hope our listeners can learn from my mistake. <laughs> well, you know, Pamela, it really is a learning journey. It's not even a mistake. I mean, you know, we're talking on the love code, so we're talking about spiritual things, and we can talk about the the belief I have anyway that, you know, our souls are guiding us through these journeys, through these experiences. We've chosen them. We've chosen them as part of our growth, of our awareness, of reconnecting to the power that we have. I mean, your sons chose a very challenging path early in life. They lost their father, and then they got, you know, they got caught in the maze of these medications and these addictions. But out of that, where they are now and what they've learned, I'm sure it's just been a profound journey of empowerment for for everyone in your family and here you are talking about it out in the world. So that's such a know, beautiful I, way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Well, I it, to me that's the greatest truth, and I just want to say, and I acknowledge you and and your sons for the courage to move through this and to share the story and to be in a position to be that wounded healer. You know, all these people doing great work mm-hmm. out there in the world, and when I interview them on my podcast and I ask them about their stories. They're all wounded healers. We've all been through our challenges in life, and because of them, we found a path and a direction and a way to serve others. And I, I, you love know, that I acknowledge you. you for your mm, thank you so much. 
I have a painting I'm looking at in my office right now that is called the Wounded Healer. And so that's a, a concept and an embodiment that I step into. And yes, I think my sons would say the same thing. We all, all three of us, see ourselves as spiritual people who who know God better because of this. In fact, that year that my husband was passing, after he got the diagnosis, it was in July, I remember it must have been about September, the beginning of fall, when I said to God in the universe, I said, I want to know you in this life, whatever it takes. And I have no regrets. That is absolutely what has helped me to know God in so many different ways. You know, I meditate. I meditate all the time. I see meditation as both a practice and a way of life. <laughs> and I write about that. So it's a practice I'll, I'll sit down and do, I'll walk and do. And then I reset via meditation throughout my day. And I do yoga often and I teach yoga practices that you can partner with your your healing, your therapeutic healing and your spiritual healing. And And if I didn't do them and live them, I wouldn't truly know them, and because of what happened to me, I know them. And so I really feel I've been graced with knowledge and understanding and practices that help me to really find joy and guard my happiness in life. Yeah, that's just so inspiring, Pamela. Can I ask, where are your sons now? What what age are they, and what are they doing in their lives? Sure. One is 28 and one is 25, and both are in recovery this moment, (laughs) you know, and that's something that I can say to all our listeners. Recovery means so many different things for different people. It's both a way of living and a number of ways we are free from substances. They have both benefited from, at times, having medication as part of their management in their recovery. But at any rate, one um, one of them became a peer recovery coach for a little bit and was helping others find their way. But then he had a fall and had, you know, it might also be called a relapse. I kind of prefer to call it a data point, as Annie Grace does. She wrote The Naked, Your Naked Mind. But anyway, um, or The Naked Mind, I believe. But anyway, so he he fell for a bit, but he's, he's in treatment right now, actually. And my other son... Um, we're doing something atypical. He, we tried treatment programs, and, and he wanted to live in sober living programs, but those didn't work out so well for him. He felt like it was too much stimuli, and he's, he's a very intellectual and bright person that needs to think and have quiet. And so he asked the last time he completed a treatment if he could come to our home and live with us. And it has been the most loving environment. We just partner with each other. I, it gives me the opportunity to not enable and not manage. You know, I get I get hands-on practice at just having confidence in him and showing him that I have that, showing him he can do it, he has agency. And that's something I would love for all of our listeners to know, that it's it's such an innate tendency, especially as a mom, but as a mom or a dad or a partner of someone who struggles with addiction and mental health issues, to want to come in and, and kind of help <laughs> in ways that, are over-helping, you know, managing, enabling, those kinds of things. But in, in, in effect, what really happens is our loved ones feel like we don't believe in them. I feel like what I've seen with all the parents I've worked, for, worked, worked with in therapy all these years, they ultimately see that when they enable, when they manage, what it really communicates to their loved one is, I don't think you can do this. You need my help. You need somebody's help. You don't have this. But instead, we want to convey, you've got this. You'll figure it out and allow them to make some mistakes along the way, you know, with confidence that they'll learn from them the same way I learned from mine, right? So they're both doing really, really well, and um, I, I'm very confident in them and in, in this process. I, I've learned, I've had a whole new meaning um, to trust the process <laughs> because, you know, it's not just an affirmation. It's it's something you have to live. Absolutely. You know, it's great courage on your part, Pamela, to be <clears throat> learning from this, to find ways to support your sons 
And the story is huge because um, I'm sure you know the stats on um, addictions. So why don't we start there? How how in your work with what you're doing, how, how prevalent is the problem of addictions? Do you have a do you have a, a number? Are there any statistics that talk about how many people are dealing with? some form of addictions, and of course anything can be an addiction. (laughs) Absolutely. I don't have a number, and I think it's because most of us are addicted on the continuum to something. You know, we're either compulsive with it or we rely upon it too heavily, all the way up on the continuum to actually having a dependence. And it can be chocolate, it (laughs) it can be anything, any substance, it can be alcohol, um, substances, you know, it can be supplements we take, right? And so I do know that in 2021, over 107,000 people um, were affected by addiction, and that was a stat I had I had Googled a little bit ago. But, um, and that doesn't even include people who've taken their lives, their own lives, or have accidentally died from fentanyl and you know, other substances that um, affected them. And so it's just so prevalent. I, I would guess, I would guess, and this is just a guess, that one in four of us have someone that we care about or love who struggles with substance use issues or addiction. If you think about if you have a grandfather or an uncle or a partner or a sibling, a son or daughter, you know, I think it's in almost every family. And so it's it's really a horrific situation that our nation and, and globally we have to take more seriously. We have to start realizing that there is not a one-size-fits-all, that there are different ways of people finding answers out of their pain and struggles, but that it is it is a brain. I mean, the research, the most, research, the most uh, recent research is that it is a brain disease, or a brain disorder, you can call it either one. I was talking with my friend Kevin McCauley, who came up with the amazing DVD, Pleasure Unwoven. He's a doctor and um, does a lot of the didactic work for about 11 huge treatment centers in our country. And um, his research on the brain has truly helped us to see that because it is so prevalent, we all have to become aware of, of use and what it could lead to and, and notice how we can begin rewiring before we really tip over the edge, you know. And that's something that I'm a big advocate for is to, to build conscious awareness into our lives so we notice what am I doing? What am I experiencing? What are, what are the um, responses I'm having in my feelings and my thoughts? And what am I actually doing in my daily life? And observe that without judgment and say, wow. I'm I'm drinking, like, for example, so many of my clients, because of the pandemic, you know, everybody knows this, <laughs> this is no new news, were drinking or using weed so much more during the pandemic. People were drinking, people, my clients were reportedly drinking three to four glasses of wine per night. And usually we clinicians are taught to add to that. And so a lot of people that I was working with were drinking maybe a bottle of wine per night from maybe 6 to 11 p.m. or whatever. And in smoking a lot of weed as well to deal with this huge global fear, pain, anxiety, panic, mild depression, big depression, you know. So people were turning to substances. But once I would ask people to become aware of that, they were so much better able to say, okay, this is what I'm doing. Wow, what's underneath that? What's going on? Can I allow myself to learn how to become more comfortable with my discomfort? can I breathe consciously into this and say, wow, I'm really anxious. In fact, it's not just in me, it's globally and energetically around me. And um, how can I reach out for support in ways that feel safe to me? And so, we, we, you know, it's such a multifaceted question that you're asking how many people are really struggling. I, I, I guess we all have to really ask ourselves and then ask somebody that we care about because we're not always, don't you feel like we're not always able to answer that question honestly initially because it doesn't feel safe? You know, like it's so um, acceptable in our culture to drink 
to drink quite a lot. You know, it's at every social gathering, we celebrate with alcohol and with weed and so forth. And, and so to say, hey, I'm quitting drinking or I'm, I'm not, I, I don't really want to smoke right now, thank you. It's kind of like, huh, what's wrong with you, right? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it actually was a really um, unanswerable question <laughs> that, that I asked. Yeah. You know, as you're talking and as we're, you know, exploring this, and and I really wanted to um, have you share some of the strategies that helps. But, but really, you know, addictions come out of some degree of, uh, of pain that we carry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact of the matter is, Pamela, until you find the love inside yourself, you're dealing with pain. You're dealing with that pain of disconnection and trying to, and looking for love and trying to find ways to to, to soothe oneself <laughs> into mm-hmm. a, a sense of well-being. Right. So I mean, they're they're probably I would say a huge continuum. But as you were saying, you know, having that piece of chocolate or having to have chocolate or going shopping to feel good or, um, you know, my concern is the the very physical addictions that are happening through the use of uh, computers and phones. The blue blue light actually alters dopamine Mm -hmm. levels, which causes craving and addictions to to the screen, to, you know, looking on the computer all the time. I mean, there are just so many (laughs) truths. Choose your avenue. It's everywhere. It's so it's such a maze to move through, and it only comes by working with tools that you write about in your book to reconnect to that place again within of peace and of um, self love, and um, you know having that sense of well being where you're you're not needing an external. So those are some of my thoughts, Pamela, about the the journey that we are all taking from looking for external ways to calm that sense of um of uh uncertainty and you know, sometimes it's a feeling that we just have an anxiety. Um but I'd really like to know your thoughts and I really want you to share some of the strategies that you have been working with in your practice to help people, particularly in addressing either addictions or, or people with addictions. Absolutely, and I agree with you about the pain that we all experience and so we need these practical strategies to reconnect with ourselves. And with one another, because there is this huge dis- disconnection that we experience because of our circumstances and because of our internal anxiety and depression. So some, some practical strategies, I'll, I'll go through a few of them. One of the most beautiful things that I know is that I experience that I can live from wonder and joy rather than despair with tools that lead me into conscious bravery. And so these strategies are really tools to live with a foundation of contentment and to be able to be curious curious, and to have wonder and joy while still allowing myself to be absolutely real and to experience pain. And that's what all of us want. And so in order to do that, we most of most of most everyone I know has a wonderful practice of gratitude in their lives. Either we write down our gratitude in the morning or perhaps we share them before we go to bed at night with someone. And that's wonderful. Uh, but we also want to be able to be grateful for who we are. But so many of my clients and workshop participants tell me, I don't know who I am. So perhaps we start there, right? We start reconnecting by connecting with ourselves. And who are we really? Who we are is not our role as a mom or a parent or an entrepreneur or a writer, whatever, we're not our jobs. We're not even our, our gifts or our accomplishments. Those are things we do that we've achieved, right? Who we actually are is this beautiful essence. I like the graceful word essence because so many other words are kind of laden with other meaning that um, could, could be synonyms like the synonym self could be replaced with essence, um, the word soul. We are our, our essences. We are our souls or ourselves, but I like the word essence. So anyway, how do we connect with our essence? We basically go right inside and there we are. 
So it's this gift, this miraculous everyday gift that's constantly available to us, who we truly are, our beingness as humans. But but that does that really sound like a strategy to use to reconnect, to, to get through pain? For many people it doesn't, but that's because we're not really familiar with ourselves. So we want to spend time with with ourself, with our essence. We just go inside and do what I suggested earlier with conscious breathing and breathe into our deepest essence, this deepest soulful part of who we are, and breathe out from that place consciously with awareness and with receptivity. And oftentimes people tell me that when they do that, they feel like, oh, there's my anxious self. But the more time I've found that we spend with our essences, the more we see that our essence is really the most connected part of us to God and to what's greater, to the universe, to one another, to the thread of interconnectedness we have with each other. And so it it really isn't the anxiety or the depression or the fear that we experience. It's really the place more of neutrality, of strength, of, of pure consciousness. And so when we go inside and we breathe into that place and we're suddenly connected there, the longer we stay, the more we know this is okay. I'll get through this. Somehow something will make sense here, either in a day or two or three or a week or maybe within an hour. And so we want to have a regular practice of connecting with our essence. And I talk about that quite a bit in my book. Conscious Bravery, there's a whole chapter on that I call You Are Your Essence. And I talk about who you are and who you aren't. And most of us really believe our thoughts. And so oftentimes we think we are what our thoughts tell us. And many others of us are more connected to our emotions. And we think we are this anxiety that we've lived with for years or this gripping fear that we've lived with because we have a loved one who struggles with addiction. But those are just emotions or feeling states that do pass. When we actually connect with ourselves, Cheryl and listeners, we really feel a solidity that goes beyond the moment. So that's a first step. A second step is to begin to view some of these emotions and feeling states as passing, but not to stay, you know, stuck in them and saturated in them. But oddly enough, the more we allow ourselves to experience our most uncomfortable emotions, the more they pass through us. (laughs) And so if we allow ourselves to see our fear and listen to our fear, we might start to see it as an advisor, which is another section in my book, fear as an advisor. Rather than fear as an enemy, we see fear as something that kind of pops up, warns us. It's from the reptilian or the brainstem, the the reptilian part of our brain or the brainstem. And, And it really comes just to warn us of danger, and to make us aware of things. And once we've acknowledged it, it calms down. Unless we stay stuck in it and ruminate in our thinking or let our bodies express way too much of it, then we can actually kind of almost live in fear for many of us. But if we can feel and experience fear however we experience it individually, for some people it is in their bodies. And so it's, it's odd, but we want to be able to listen to it kind of like an acquaintance, an, an acquaintance we've just met who's saying something to us, and we would just listen with non-judgment. Non, non-judgment. We wouldn't immediately react to it, as we often do with fear. And so that's another strategy. A, a third is to become more comfortable with discomfort. And I almost have to laugh myself as I say that because who wants to become comfortable with discomfort or or overwhelm, <laughs> right? It's just uncanny to, to kind of imagine that. It's non-intuitive. But many of the strategies for conscious bravery aren't intuitive. If they came naturally to us, we'd already be doing them. <laughs> and so right. all of the things I recommend are going to be a little uncomfortable. And so if you're listening and you find yourself saying, eh, you know, I don't know if I can do that, just give it a try. Just know that I've walked in your shoes. I've been in the trenches with you. I've had a husband who died. I've had sons who've been in the emergency department who've, and I've been told they might not live. <clears throat> I've been there, and I've been through it. And um, they have come out surviving, and they've both come out thriving as of today. 
but I never know. And so I don't attach to the future. And I talk about that in my book as well, that we want to be clear on what we want and need without attaching to it. So we learn to live with opposites. I call them flip sides of the same coin. You know, other people um, call them probably something similar. But we want to become sort of non-dual and be able to hold seemingly opposing things at the same time. In other words, as I was saying earlier, we can live from wonder and joy, but we can also feel deep pain. And so I've heard so many of my clients, and I've even cried with my clients as they tell me that their daughter tried to take her own life, you know, and the terror they felt about that. And perhaps their daughter lived. And and now how do they move forward knowing that that's a risk in the the midst? So so we want to be able to feel our emotions, but actually be curious. I wonder where this will go. I wonder how I'll, I'll do this but I do know that I can. And most of us have done some of the most difficult things in our lives. If we really look back and look at our own history, we've done tremendously hard things, as Glennon Doyle says, right? We've done hard things, and we can do them again. And we, we start to live from this place of knowing that we can do, we can face the unknown. We can move with change and flow with it. And, and that's another um, strategy. Instead of becoming rigid or stern, like, I'm going to do this differently this way now, you know, we can kind of have that opinion of ourselves but hold it lightly knowing that we want to be able to flow with things and be able to be spontaneous if needed. So I'm a big proponent of having structure but also being able to go with the flow. And I talk about that, too, in the book conscious bravery, we can yearn for something, but then we can put into practice certain things that help us get us there, while at the same time changing our minds as needed as we go. And those are a few of the things that are strategies. A third, or I guess like a fifth pillar, maybe I'm on my fifth one, (laughs) is to really, truly protect our happiness. Because most of us want to be happy, right? And if we don't, I would encourage you, if this is you, to allow yourself to long to be happy. Because how are you going to attain something unless you really let yourself want it and take steps toward it, moving toward it? Things don't just plunk into our laps. You know, we don't just create bravery with a magic wand. We, We work toward it. We don't wave the magic wand and suddenly it's there. We take actionable steps every day. And then we let ourselves transform slowly over time. And um, so many of us want things immediately because we live in a very immediate culture, right? But but to protect our happiness really has to be cultivated with self-care. So I mentioned, I think, earlier, um, if I didn't, I'll mention it now, that we want to be like a tall tree, like the tree of life that's deeply rooted and anchored and we're stretching ourselves, connecting to these kinds of strategies, using them, connecting to what truly matters and helping our loved ones while we help ourselves. But we also want to be able to grow and um, and grow emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, sexually. All of those things are our branches, truly. And um, if you want some more information about those, they're in the book as well. So we really want to um, connect not just with ourselves but with something greater because as a tree, we're living in this vibrant, alive world surrounding us. And we're fed by nature, by one another, by source or the Tao, whatever you want to call whatever is greater. <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, it, it, you know, that, thank you for that, Pamela, because the journey of you know, either assisting with someone in your family or close circle who is struggling with addiction or a person themselves is struggling with addiction, it really becomes a spiritual journey of finding your way through the maze back to a sense of uh, peace and resilience again. And um, we all have to do that journey. Some of us are doing it with greater challenges in the moment than others, but we need tools and resources to help us 
you know, navigate this time. We all need tools and resources to help us navigate life. And sometimes life brings us more challenges than other times. And um, when they when that happens, we, we need these resources. We need these tools. We need these practices to help us find a greater sense of strength and power within us. Those are, those are my thoughts. I'm just, you know, Absolutely. You said that beautifully, finding our way back through the maze into peace and resilience. And one of the best tools that I can offer that is foundational is to use what I call the whole being scan. And I have a chapter in Conscious Bravery called Whole Being Awareness Beyond Mindfulness. Because truly we want to be, we want to have that mindfulness you know, when people hear that word, it conjures, be really present, be consciously aware. But I don't like the word mindfulness because it's too much in the mind. Ram Dass and um, some others have said the same thing, Eckhart Tolle. It's really um, promoting almost the mind, a connection with the mind. So I love the word whole being awareness. And so we breathe consciously into our whole being in six zones of our experience. And we do a really quick scan asking without judgment, what's happening in my heart? What am I feeling emotionally right now? What's happening in my mind or my thoughts are they racing and so forth i think i might have mentioned this earlier in the um, in our talk today but then we tune into our bodies what's going on there without judgment like is my neck tight or my legs um, feeling jumpy and what's happening in the energy space around me is it vibrating with protection and safety like in my, my in my home or am i in an environment that's unfamiliar to me and i'm feeling like the the environment or space around me is questionable and then we go into our intuition. What's my intuition telling me? And can I trust it? And lastly, what's happening in my essence? Is it solid? Yes, it is. Okay, so I can, I can operate from that hub. And so, again, back to what you were just saying, I love that, finding our way back through the maze into peace and resilience. We've got to use tools. It doesn't just happen <laughs> magically. We, we practice these tools all the time, and we cultivate bravery over time, every single day, and every single moment matters as we put forth our efforts. It, uh, that, uh, that point is so profound, what you said. It's like we aren't, we, we, we don't have the manual when we're born <laughs> that we mm-hmm. find that strength and resilience. And if you, you know, examine any of the spiritual traditions, they're all about giving those tools and resources that must be practiced every day to find that um, place of true connection and true love and true power. So it's that discipline, isn't it? We have to find tools that we resonate with. There are many tools out there. There are many possibilities. But we need to find whatever tools we resonate with. And then we have to make a commitment to practice with those tools on a daily basis. It, there's there's no other way <laughs> out of the maze, <laughs> so to speak, right? You got it. You You're singing to. my song, yeah. self-discipline plus commitment. And yogis call it the self-discipline piece, tapas. And Buddhists call it something different, you know, right action perhaps. But, yeah, that with a, with a commitment, it you know, really it, what's required of us is to re-present, to come into presence over and over again because when we're present we're more consciously aware and ideas pop into our head about what to do right and how to be self-disciplined and how to recommit and so um the more we're present the better off we are you know you talked about the use of breath and um i just want to reiterate that because for many years uh, many you know I, i learned this decades ago and that is how to use the breath and be aware of the breath and to appreciate the breath and to open up the breath. And the breath really is the way that we can alter our entire physiology. We can, mm-hmm. we, we can alter the space, that those energies within us. We can open up and align all our chakras again. We can calm the system down. We get back into parasympathetic, which is that relaxed, calm place where healing happens. And it's so simple. It's so simple. It's like we carry this breath around 
with us. We can't live without mm-hmm. it. But but we're not paying attention how to use it. It's like this gift we've been given, but never really taught how to make the most of it, unless we mm. find these tools. It's so true, Cheryl. And using the breath all of the time, it's this miraculous gift that's available to us at any moment. When we just become aware that we're breathing, all of a sudden it becomes a power instead of just um, a, a response, you know, that our lungs are kind of just doing automatically. And we do, we do need it because, as you were saying, the sympathetic nervous system wants us to activate or freeze, right? But to be able to calm our breath is the ticket. And I say that, um, uh, you know, everything we want, conscious breathing is the doorway into everything we want. And so whenever we can breathe consciously without just three deep breaths, but really, as you were saying, use the breath as a resource breathing into our hearts breathing out into what is, breathing into our minds and bodies, and breathing out into an acceptance of, huh, now there's this, breathing in and then breathing out. Then pretty soon we're in a new moment where we see different kinds of options and there are different opportunities. And so breath really alters conscious awareness of our breath and using it and partnering with it really because we're not using it. We're partnering with this beautiful gift we can arrive in a different place. And and it really is the foundation. If there's any one foundation of conscious bravery, it's conscious breathing. <laughs> and so if we want to mm. care for someone that we love who who has anything, who who's dying or who has Alzheimer's or who has cancer or if they have addiction struggles or mental health challenges, we can be the role model and we can bring calm to the situation by breathing consciously. And then they'll learn from us because that's a beautiful thing we we mirror for one another and our energy affects another. So it's called co-regulation, yeah, just, you know, yeah. but that's what it is. We're really mirroring for each other. Pardon me. <laughs> I just I just want to say, Pamela, as we're having this conversation and you're sharing the, the wisdom and these insights from your own journey, you know, it's, it's you're amazing because you have been through so many life traumas and tragedies, and um, you just seem to have, uh, you know, been alchemical. They've been alchemical for you. They have transformed you in a way that you are finding greater strength and being able to share with so many people, which is really remarkable, Pamela. I have mm. to say. Oh, thank you. And and that's a beautiful compliment and um, acknowledgement, and I, I really bow to you on that. But, you know, I'm just one of many. I bet there are people listening today who've been through even more horrendous things. You know, not that we can compare because each each one of us have our own journey. But I have often said that it is alchemical. It's a transformation from lead to gold. And, and my journey is not the the typical hero's journey it doesn't it it doesn't necessarily have the happiest ending ever but you know today I was talking with my oldest son and I said I wouldn't trade what we've been through for anything you know he and I just put up a video on my social media that you can access if you want through my website where he's saying um, recovery for the win and I'm saying conscious bravery for the team and we're on my friend's antique Chevy truck sitting on the top of it for this parade that we went to on Saturday. And we just, we just celebrate this journey we've been on. And, and I celebrate all of you and you too, Cheryl, for everything you've done and what you've been through in your life, because the hero's journey or the heroine's journey is mixed. You know, there are highs and lows and everything in between and there are deaths and illnesses. And then, you know, if we can really just come into this day and say, wow, I was never promised anything in this life. I was not told I'd have a long life or anything. I was not told I would have health. Um, we're not promised that even. And so if we can just find the grace to, to take that breath and say, wow, I'm breathing. I can see. I can hear. What a gift that is. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. So, Pamela, share mm-hmm. more about um, your website, um, which is Pamela Brinkman. 
but you have lots of resources that you offer through your website. So why don't you share with uh, our, our listeners what those resources are so people can take advantage of them. Sure. I'd love you to go to PamelaBrinker.com, and that's my website. And on that, there are any number of things. There are testimonials. There are little videos linked to it. There are graphics I've made from some of the tools and practices I teach. So there are simple one-page things you can reprint. If you want, you can go to um, the resources on my website if you're interested in finding a group of people with whom to connect. Uh, in any of these areas that we've spoken about. And there are so many other things on my website. There's a link on my website to the Bravery Bites I send out via email every couple of weeks, which are just, they're not even a newsletter. They're just short um, reminders of some of the things that Cheryl and I talked about today. So my website is a resource I would love you to know about. You can also find my book on my website, or you can go to Amazon.com. And I narrated the book myself, so if you want to go to Amazon and then get it on Audible, that's available. And it was just such a joy to narrate it. I learned a lot in that process. And then you can also buy the book. It's been greatly discounted to, I think, $3.58. Because I think Amazon may be overstocked since it was a bestseller back in May. And they're trying to get get it passed on. So it's uh, available as an ebook and, and as a paper book on Amazon.com under Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. Well, that's wonderful. Very exciting for you to have such a best-selling book, Pamela. And that website, again, for people who uh, really would um, be interested in learning more, and that's a Pamela Brinker, B-R-I-N-K-E-R.com, PamelaBrinker.com. Uh, Take advantage of all that Pamela is doing because she really is here to serve coming from her beautiful heart. So, Pamela, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the wonderful work you're doing and for the huge difference you're making in the world. Mm, So much gratitude. Thank you. Right back to you, Cheryl, for your tremendous value. And thank you to all of our listeners for being here with us today and taking this in. It's a good note to uh, complete this conversation with. So to all of you listening, thank you for joining me for another wonderful, inspiring, uplifting conversation on the Love Code. And until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.